the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You might be one of the millions of unfortunate individuals quite familiar with the annoying telephone calls. Sometimes starting as early as 7 o'clock in the morning, they can continue till well past your bedtime. Maybe those calls include things like threats to sue you into oblivion, ruin your life, your career, garnish your wages, come to your place of work, everything short of breaking your kneecaps, and maybe even that too. Perhaps no irony that debt collectors generate more complaints to the Federal Trade Commission than any other industry. And in fact, in one six-month period alone, constituted more than 32,000 complaints to the FTC. Folks get into circumstances, a loss of job, perhaps loss of health, that create debt, maybe just poor money management skills. Now the letters start pouring in, the telephone calls come, and the question is, what do you do? You know you owe it, or maybe you're not sure you owe it. Maybe you're convinced you don't owe it at all, but nevertheless, the debt collection agency is there. They're going to try to get some of your money. What to do? How do we kind of pull back the curtain on the secret world of debt collection and learn how to beat them at their own game? Well, that is uniquely the topic of a brand new book out called The Secret World of Debt Collection. Beat collectors at their own game. A former collections executive reveals how. Joining me today in studio is attorney Mike Cardoza of the Cardoza Law Group. And uh, also, my way, I'll, I'll mention he continues to serve our country as a reserve officer in the U.S. Marine Corps. And uh, once again, a counselor, welcome to the program. Thank you, Craig. It's so nice to be here. Let's talk a bit about first some of the tough tactics that these debt collectors will use. And everybody eavesdropping on our conversation right now is probably screaming at the radio, let me tell you what they did to me. And it's everything from threatening to put you into debtor's prison to they're going to garnish your wages, shut down your bank account, to sell your house out from underneath you. All of this, some of it in a legitimate co- attempt to collect a legitimate debt and other times not quite so legitimately. Yeah, and I think you told everybody exactly how I know some of this stuff happens. It's from my seven years as a senior executive and CEO of not just a debt buying firm, but a debt collection law firm operating on the East Coast. So I literally have spent uh, days and weeks and years with hundreds of people uh, filing thousands of lawsuits every month, and I've been responsible for uh, hundreds of thousands of phone calls. Um, So I know exactly how the game is played. And debt collectors want to get the money from the people who want to pay because that's the high margin money that's the profitable money trying to get money from somebody who can't pay and trying to get some money from somebody who won't pay just doesn't make money and it's a thin profit margin operation so that's why they come on so strong and they come on so heavy and they blow up your cell phone in almost a denial of service attack and they 
reach out under the guise of trying to locate where you are, but they already know where you are because it's on your credit report, but they do it anyway. They call some of your neighbors and your relatives and maybe even call your work just to do a locator call. But you know what really that spurs is your concerned mom calling you or a boss wondering why debt collectors are calling. And that's some of the most insidious form of collection that we know today. So they will use everything from subterfuge to manipulation to lying. Largely, it sounds like they're, they're trying to really extract money from people who not only have the capacity to pay, at least to some degree, but also have a a moral sense of obligation or call it guilt uh, to pay, as opposed to the individual that says, not my debt, not my problem, or yeah, it's my debt, but you know what? I don't like you, so I'm not going to pay you. Uh, You know, I would liken it to locks on doors that are there to keep the honest people out. Some of these techniques are then applied in order to keep the honest people paying, and the rest is the high-hanging fruit that nobody can really get their hands on. You know, you've nailed it exactly. And what blew my mind as a young collection executive years ago is when I was on a uh, conference call with one of the CEOs of the major national debt buyers. And he says, you know, to thousands of people on the line, I want to introduce my senior PhD and uh, uh, psychological research group. And, you know, just as me and everybody else were scratching their head on the other end of the line, he says, listen, remember, investors, you know, we're in debt collection. We're not here to solve a financial problem. We're here to solve a behavioral problem. Our challenge is to get people who either can't or won't and figure out what quadrant they go into and get them to put our debt first and make the choice to pay us before they pay somebody else. So it's a psychological game then at the core, isn't it? Thank you. And that's why debt collectors come on like uh, they're your dad and you're 15 years old. I mean, you know, if you're a family guy and you've had something happen, you know, you're 36 year old with three kids and a job and a mortgage and, and a family, hopefully, and you've got some 21-year-old calling you reading uh, some kind of really tough talk off of a script, well, that's ridiculous, right? But the reason that it happens is because the last time, if you're the average 38-year-old American, you got some education about your consumer rights or how money works or what you owe and what you don't and who could do what or who could not was when you were 15. You know, your dad or your mom or your uncle said, don't ever borrow more than you can pay back. And boy, you made your bed. You'd better lie in it. And so that's why this 21-year-old, he doesn't know nothing from nothing and would rather be texting were he not, uh, you know, at this big galleon chain of computers that are just rolling a script out in front of his face. That's why he's talking to you like you're a child, because it works. So fear, intimidation, misinformation, that can all be used to, in some ways, I guess we'll say it, manipulate uh, the debtor into pain. Now, these fall into, uh, I guess, a broad swath of of categories. Uh, First, let's talk about um, legitimate debt versus illegitimate debt. And ironically enough, there's a good percentage of that out there these days. I suppose they're in the same category of people that call you and say, you've just won $2 million in the lottery, and if you'll send me $500 just to pay some fees here that you owe, we'll be happy to get your check off in the mail. We know those as scammers. They might come under the guise of the so-called Nigerian scammers that's uh, runs a pretty broad effort towards a telephone or email solicitation to try to separate people from their money. And I suppose, too, there's a percentage of debt collectors out there, perhaps not legitimate companies, who use the same sort of techniques and tactics to scare people into surrendering money that they don't really legitimately owe. But the minute you say, we're coming to arrest you, we're going to ruin your financial life, I guess it's easy sometimes, particularly for the vulnerable and elderly, to just say, you know what, where do I send the check? 
you know, oftentimes that's exactly how I know when you come to me, if you're a client, that's exactly how I know you don't have a case is because you tell me uh, they called me on a Friday and they threatened to have me in jail by Monday or they called my mom and said she needed to pay this bail money for a debt that I owe and I did take out a payday loan. Um, that's how I know that the person that's calling is probably based in any other random place that's not subject to U.S. jurisdiction or just in uh, your proverbial boiler room. Mm -hmm. Um, Something important uh, to know about how this happens is that your debt collection data is blizzarding all over the place as it gets more delinquent. It gets sold from the original creditor, you know, City city Capital sells it to Martin's Debt Buying Association, um, and it goes all over the place. So a lot of times what happens is um, debtors information and if you think about it we're all debtors and if you think about how um, the American economy and particularly the consumer driven economy has managed to grow in the last 70 years you know that is good that has been great for America you know that's how we've all been able to trust and cooperate with each other because we all are into each other for it so you know I, I bristle when the word debtor is used in some kind of derogatory term because we're all indebted to each other and that's just the nature of humanity but what happens is is that your name or your information uh, uh, gets leaked out or stolen or traded off to some unscrupulous person, you know, just trying to make an extra 20 or 50 bucks for passing a, an Excel spreadsheet. And then these criminals call off that sheet and get you to do some kind of credit card transaction to a merchant account that's like double blinded through a couple of other companies. So that's a scam. It's illegal. You know, you may owe a debt to somebody, but you don't owe a debt to them. So there's the nefarious category of those that are just essentially, they're like any other scammer that's out there. And then there's the legitimate debt collector. Now, this might be somebody who works in the office of the company with which you did the original loan, the credit card deal, whatever, who's just trying to collect on behalf of that company. But then this also falls into multiple tiers, doesn't it? It sounds like, from what you're suggesting, Counselor, debt can be bought and sold just like any other commodity out there and can change multiple hands, and it's up to whoever is the most successful at collecting the most of the debt who's going to be the winner at the end of the day. Is it possible toward that degree then, from the original debt, to see half a dozen or more different people attempting at various times, maybe even at the same time, to collect on the same debt? Absolutely. And wow. it all has to do with our American right to property. And before you think that this is some, you know, kind of creation of the late 80s or, you know, uh, 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 Drexel Wall Street or whatever, it's not. Um, Abraham Lincoln actually had uh, one of his debts purchased by a man who we know as the Swede. And I believe it was for some uh, tack or, or some kind of horse and bridle type stuff. So I tell you, it goes way back. And it's uh, American because uh, not only are the pants you're wearing your property and that encompasses is the right to sell them or destroy them or give them away or do whatever, but so are um, rights that others owe you. So um, part of our robust financial system depends on our ability to um, take take a receivable and then this is called factoring as to create cash flow in business. You will sell or assign those receivables to a factoring company that'll pay you 80, 80 cents on the dollar. It's just like if you got a uh, um, gift card at the container store or something for $100, but you needed, uh, you didn't want $100 worth of containers, you wanted 80 bucks in cash, you would you would sell that on, that would be your right. So this is how that happens. And um, debt has really, the sale of it has really exploded starting in about um, the mid-2000s when the original creditors realized, hey, we're spending way much more money uh, on trying to collect this stuff in-house, plus the federal banking regulations say that we can't keep it on the books because it looks like a good debt, but it's not. So it's inflating our assets, uh, which is 
you know, causing the uh, the banking valuation to be skewed, and that's not good for uh, the way we all operate in our financial system. So, you know, instead of trying to do it ourselves or just letting it go, which might cause other people to default, um, let's sell this stuff to these ready buyers and let's sell it for fifteen cents on the dollar. Let's sell let's sell hundred million dollars worth of debt for fifteen cents on the dollar and see what we can do with it. And then what happened, of course, is that that buyer sold it, uh, did what they could for about a year, and then they sold it to the next buyer, and they did what they could, and they sold it to the next buyer, and that's why sometimes. Even judges get concerned about zombie debt, you know, the debt that won't go away or bag- uh, travelers without baggage, you know, the debt that comes into a courtroom on a, on a lawsuit, but it doesn't have any statements or any documents or any chain of title or any contract. If you've just joined us on this edition of Lifeline, visiting today in studio with attorney Mike Cardoza. He has a background in the world of debt collection. In fact, he worked as an executive within the industry for quite a number of years. Today, he's literally pulling back the curtain on the secret world of debt collection. Now, maybe you are one. Maybe you sit right there in that position. And as we've been sharing today, you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit of a gnawing in the pit of your stomach. And you're thinking, oh, boy, I'm right there. How do I stop the telephone calls? How do I negotiate a settlement? Help me understand, can they really send me to jail? Can they really garnish my wages or shut down my bank account? What are some of the legal, legitimate steps that you can and should be taking to protect you? Because as much as they have rights, you have rights too, although sadly you rarely ever hear about that. The important thing that we accomplished today is getting the power of information into your hands so you know what your legal rights are. So can they really arrest you, seize your property? Can they tell your neighbors that you're a deadbeat? We'll talk about all that as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. Mike, as we mentioned, was a former collections executive. He knows the inside workings of all of this. And as he's kind of pulled back the curtain to the secret world of debt collection, the title of his new book, let's spend a moment, Mike, concerning the balance between trying to help people just get off the hook and steal money from, you know, legitimate companies that loan you money to buy a house, buy a car, get out of the, you know, store and buy clothing, et cetera, et cetera, against those that say, look, I know I owe this debt, but I've lost the job. I'm barely hanging on. Now I have a decision. Do I pay the PG&E bill and keep food on the table for my children? Or do I make this nasty, pesty debt collection guy go away because I happen to owe $500 on a credit card to a big box store? Put that in perspective. What are you trying to accomplish as you pull back the curtain on the secret world of debt collection? Well, let me tell you about the numbers. Um, about 3% of consumer loans are in default at any one time. So that means that 97% of people are – they're different people all the time, of course. But 97% of the population is paying their credit cards on time or in accordance with the terms. 3% are in default. I know that. You can look it up the, at the Federal Reserve. I also know from experience uh, that about 98% of the 3% of the people that are in default uh, believe they have a – they, they want to pay. They want to pay it back. They just can't. Just something happens. So, there, there is a sense of moral obligation here. I recognize the debt, and I have a desire to pay it back. Totally. Totally. And, and, and that's how debt collectors make money, and that's why – that's why debt collectors, the successful ones, are actually friendly because they want you to like them more than the other guy. I mean, it really is a competition for the, the heart and the mind of, uh, of your debtor when you're dialing for those dollars. Uh, but I want to say those numbers because, you know, as you multiply the percentages, it gets down to a really, really tiny fraction, a, a fraction of what you would sort of 
uh, people would say are the professional debtors, you know, the, the people that are going to take out the card and then spend with no intention of ever paying it back. Um, that's just uh, almost mythical. I mean, those people are so very rare. You can't really make money that way because um, even though you might get a card after you're in bankruptcy, it all just kind of piles up and everybody knows who you are and, and there's really sort of no escape. So, you know, I, I, I really just from my experience as a debt collector want to pop that myth uh, that if we're not, uh, you know, black and white about this and we don't force every single person to pay their debts no matter what, that there's going to be some kind of uh, fracture of society because people are just going to bring down the banking system by um, never paying back what they borrowed and the good people who do pay are going to pay for the people who don't. Um, What really uh, Congress found was more the case back in 1977, which isn't such ancient history, is that unregulated debt collection practices were fracturing families. You know, money is a real pivot point around which a marriage and an entire family, if you think about how you saw your parents uh, deal with money or you think about the things you heard behind closed doors at night when you're supposed to be sleeping, money is a real uh, fault line in marriages and families. And uh, what is in the congressional record uh, before the passage of the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act in 1977 is a real recognition that things that rob people of their privacy and their dignity and their due process rights really undermine the American family. So therefore, unlike some countries, we do not have a debtor's prison in America. We do not say, hey, you owe, and outside of maybe phantom debt, you owe, you're going to have to pay up, and if you don't pay up, we're hauling you off to jail, we're going to take your house, sell your possessions out from underneath you, all of that. There are some real legitimate reasons then, as you're suggesting, why Congress said we need to have a Fair Debt Collection Practices Act that establishes basically parity. It establishes a fair playing field for both legitimate companies attempting to collect legitimate debt as well as the debtor who just say, hey, I want to do my best here, but you you can't get blood out of a turnip. Yeah, and I mean, let's think about why we have bankruptcy. That was a principle of the founding fathers because we didn't want to just consign whatever person had a financial upside-downness to uh, some sort of prison or, or non-productivity for the rest of their life. And when you take it a step further, um, if you've got a debtor's prison or you don't have a bankruptcy, you don't have a de- the ability to get a fresh start, nobody's ever going to take any risk. Mm-hmm. And I think we all just saw just recently in the banking crisis of 2008 and 2009 what an economy looks like when nobody wants to take a risk. Good point. If you've just tuned in, attorney Mike Cardoza is with us today. He is with the Cardoza Law Group. He is an expert in the arena of debt collection. In fact, for many years, served as a collection executive. And today we're kind of pulling back the curtain on that world. Let's go right to your calls. We're going to lead off first with Tabitha, who calls in from Danville. Tabitha, come on in with your comment or question for attorney Mike Cardoza. Midland Funding. I had a small credit issue and uh, with Sears, and I it got to, to them. Midland Funding out of San Diego. My attorney called them to settle with them. They refused to settle. Refused to settle. Um, would give them, you know, I would give them what I have. They would call, call, call. Out of town during Christmas, they um, actually got to my job, and they start taking garnishment, my paycheck. I'm on, you know, it's Christmas time, and $1,000 is out of my paycheck. Wow, let's talk and about I'm, that. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm traveling with, with your children. My attorney called them in good faith, wrote them letters. When I called Midland, they just laughed. Pay your debt. Click. Wow. All right. Let's talk about this. First off, 
wage garnishment. It would seem to me, Counselor, that there has to be a legal process behind all of this. Doesn't the judge have to say, yes, we are officially recognizing that you owe this debt and we are compelling you under the law to pay, and if not, here will be the consequences? I mean, or can they just pick up a phone and call your employer and say, hey, Craig Roberts owes me 50 bucks. Take it out of his paycheck and send it to me. Yeah, uh, let me answer that question. But uh, first, uh, Tabitha, let me uh, let me tell you, um, I, I'm I'm really sorry that that's happening. Um, that that makes me uh, that makes me sad, and it makes me angry. Um, and it's just uh, it, it leaves me a little bit speechless. And uh, it's funny for as long as I've been doing this now, uh, representing consumers, um, it, I still uh, I still never get over hearing the human component to this. And I think that. You know, you in about uh, 17 words have really just uh, hit the essence of what we've been talking about here for about um, almost a half an hour. Uh, so thanks for thanks for telling us about the experience with uh, with Midland Credit and the fact that and God bless you, by the way, for, you know, doing the right thing. And I know you're listening to me nodding, saying, yeah, that's that's I was willing to pay what I could. And I called in good faith. And, I, you know, I just wanted to make it square because I'm not trying to hide or cheat anybody. And, you know, they said no, because they could, uh, because maybe they already had a legal judgment against you, which is uh, the necessary thing to have before you can garnish a paycheck, um, unless you're the federal government. And that's a different story. Um, but they didn't they didn't work with you. And so, you know, sometimes a more aggressive approach is necessary and sometimes it's warranted. And I, I, I didn't come here today to talk about my practice and I probably won't. Um, but it, I'll say, generally speaking, that the lessons out of this particular thing are uh, be um, trust, but verify, I guess I would say. Um, don't be afraid to um, learn about your rights as a consumer. Um, you know, maybe you had a consumer protection attorney, or maybe it was a different attorney that you used. But uh, consumer protection attorneys are very experienced with um, breaking out the big hammer and helping you turn the tables on the debt collectors, so that you can put yourself back in a position of power. Telling you how to dispute debts, telling you how to stop the phone calls, telling you how to record the voicemail messages and keep the debt collection letters that might entitle you to compensation. Um, the one practice point on this particular case is that. If you got served with some kind of legal notice that you were being sued, you got to get some help from somebody, legal aid clinic, uh, websites. You got to answer that thing and protect your rights before they just walk that thing into court, get a default judgment, and start garnishing your uh, paycheck. And Tabitha, for you, if you never got that notice and you're within 180 days of discovering that you never got that notice of being sued and having a default judgment, uh, then you may be able to make a motion here in California court to vacate that judgment, and I encourage you to uh, reach out to a consumer protection attorney online. Uh, Aside from that, any other recourse once they've received the judgment against you? They've kind of got the court stamp of approval to go after your wages and however else they can get money out of you. Well, the game, the game continues. The game continues. You know, there's there's less room to dispute than that you owe the debt because now you're talking about whether or not a judgment's going to be enforced. But just because a debt collector has got a judgment or is enforcing a judgment or is trying to collect on a judgment doesn't mean that they can ignore state and federal law. And by the way, in California, in addition to the federal laws, we have some very powerful state uh, consumer protection laws, which include a version of the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. So those two things go together, which makes it, uh, you know, that's a good reason to be a Californian consumer. Getting an attorney, some people say, oh, you know, I've gotten this lawsuit. Well, wait a minute. Well, if I could afford to pay back the debt, we wouldn't be having this discussion. Now you're telling me go out and get an attorney because they've gotten some high-fluting attorney or they're suggesting they're going to turn me over to legal as I'm getting these telephone calls? 
So typically the way we work is on contingency. Um, the law, the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, and many like it, provide for the recovery of attorney's fees. It's they, they really they didn't you know they really wanted to make the bad stuff stop. So they said here debt collectors are the things you have to do. You got to give these people you know notice of this, notice of that. You got to do it this way. You got to do it that. Uh, and here are the things you cannot do. You cannot be fair, unfair. You can't be misleading. You can't mischaracterize the debt. You can't uh, insult people. You can't harass them. You can't bother them. You can't embarrass them. You can't invade their privacy. You can't call third parties. You know, on and on and on. And then the law went further and said, if you did any of those things, as a matter of law, we don't care why it happened. You're just strictly liable. And don't give me the argument that, oh, you're going to get this lawsuit dismissed because, oh, the uh, debtor didn't really suffer, you know, what's a couple of phone calls? No, we're going to put in something called statutory damages. So if it happened and you did it, then we're not going to argue about why you did it. We're not going to argue about whether or not you're going to pay. You're going to pay up to $1,000 per successful lawsuit. And we're also going to uh, put in there that you're going to owe for reasonable attorney's fees. So that created the private right of action where attorneys like me and guys in my space, you know, will will take somebody's case on contingency and say, it looks like you got a debt collection violation here. You know, let's talk about it. And, um, you know, we can do this for no money down because I'll get my attorney's fees paid by the defendant. So that's the economic engine of why guys like me uh, are able to exist. But ancillary to that, that means that we can afford to give all kinds of free advice. And, you know, internet marketing and information marketing these days, you know, we're all giving it away. We're all doing radio shows like this to tell you, here's how it works. And here's here. I just told you, hey, maybe you can vacate your judgment. You know, we want to help. And, you know. It's about the money second, but it's about justice and helping people first. So I don't think that a consumer protection lawyer is ever maybe even going to cost you a penny. I mean, just reach out and get the information. We'll pause on that point, come back to more of our conversation with attorney Mike Cardoza, the book, The Secret World of Debt Collection. By the way, the book available on the web, simple, same title, secretworldofdebtcollection.com. A timeout, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation with attorney Mike Cardoza, the book, The Secret World of Debt Collection. By the way, the book available on the web, simple, same title, secretworldofdebtcollection.com. As much as many people who were in the process of, a, of the receiving end of the collection calls feel as if they have no tools at their disposal. They're working at a disadvantage because the debt collector is using things or phraseology such as garnishment of wages, contacting your employer, and we're thinking, oh my goodness, you're not only going to help ruin me further financially, you're going to ruin my reputation, perhaps cost me my job. All of these really ugly things are going to happen to me. And so now the the consumer is sort of cowering in the corner thinking that all of the power of the law is on the side of the debt collector. What you're what you're saying here, though, is that is not the case, and it sounds like the real um, page turner here is information. Information is power. Yeah. So you know how like um, we've all become sort of accustomed to uh, feeling like we have rights as a retail consumer just with respect to customer service. You know, uh, what's Yelp all about? Well, you know, the waitress she dissed me and this. So we're, we're feeling entitled to excellent customer service that good management wants to know when we don't get it and that we shouldn't have to pay for something that's substandard and that the standard has gone up and up and up. And uh, right now, uh, being, a, being a homegrown Bay Area guy, I want to kind of give a nod to a couple of my Bay Area consumer protection heroes. Uh, David Horowitz, back when I was a kid on NBC, always used to say at the end of every show, fight back and don't let anybody rip you off. And I don't know if y'all are familiar because it it might be the same time or different, but uh, boy, my my, uh, dear Michael Finney up in his book, 
tells you in the first chapter, hey, you're a consumer, so um, I'm going to expect you to have some self-respect. You know, stand up for your rights as a person. And so the same feeling you feel about getting good customer service at Chili's, you ought to feel about your uh, relationship to um, your debt and your debt collector and the original creditors. Okay, you know, you don't know how to make a fish taco. You don't know what happens back there. And, and you don't know how your debt got bought and sold and whatever. So, you know, why are you feeling like your fries ought to be crispy when you don't even know how they're made, And but you're cowering in some kind of 15-year-old fetal position uh, when somebody calls you about a uh, charge card debt from, from four years ago? That doesn't make any sense. So I'm just telling you, hey, this isn't a mystery. It's not rocket science. Uh, Stand up for your rights, fight back, and find out what what is out there that you can do about it. All right, let's grab another call here. We're going to go to Rochelle in Oakland. Rochelle, come on in with your comment or question for attorney Mike Cardoza. Hello. Thank you for um, taking my call. I love attorneys. They have a plethora of knowledge. I have uh, two questions and a statement. First, uh, my question is regarding student loan forgiveness. I've seen a lot of different ads uh, claiming to, um, you know, forgive your student loan, um, and I've researched one, but it's it's kind of, um, I don't know, you know, I'm not trusting. So I'm reluctant to, I, I just want to know if there is a legitimate uh, or is there some validity to any of the ads, or the, especially the ones that associate um, Obama's name or the government. <laughs> Uh, so, and then the second question, um, I'm, I'm really confused when I read uh, my credit report inquiries, and it says um, the, the, um, the debt will remain on your report for seven years. Is that seven years after the last date of contact, after the last payment? Uh, you know, so. All right, a couple of good questions. Let's start first uh, with the topic of the student loan forgiveness. Boy, particularly if you went to a highfalutin school like a, a Stanford University or, or uh, I don't know, maybe maybe even uh, uh, Georgetown University, uh, you get a huge bill that comes in, and now you're thinking, oh, gosh, do I really have to pay this thing? Is there any kind of relief for me? What about that? Uh, well, to the uh, 1% of the college graduates, uh in the United States who graduated from Stanford this year. Congratulations. I'm guessing that you're not listening because uh, you're a Google VP or executive and uh, you've already paid down your student debt. Or you're still at work right now. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. We all, we all walk in different shoes. Uh, Some, some of them are tight, some of them are loose. So, um, uh, yeah, let me talk about it. And if you read the San Jose Mercury News uh, on Monday, you now know that if you went to Corinthian College, which went bust, uh, you may not have to pay those debts back. And the same thing with any other fraudulent school like a culinary academy or vocational school. You know, whatever didn't give you the benefit of the bargain, uh, you might get out of those uh, student loan debts just uh, right away or as part of a class action that's going on right now. So there's there's that. Um, let me talk about this uh, forgiveness advertising thing with the Obama name. You know, as you're s- describing that, Rochelle, you know, my face is kind of scrunching up. Um, here's a general rule about debt collection and advertising and, and, and attorneys. And thank you, by the way, for, uh, for, for the props. If it, uh, if it feels bad, uh, it probably is. Like if you feel like something's wrong or something's going wrong, are you being treated in a way that doesn't feel right? That doesn't – like you feel like someone's trying to trick you or you know, you're not being treated with dignity. There's a good chance that something is actually wrong and there's a good chance at least in the debt collection context that you, know, you can do something about it and you may actually already be entitled to compensation uh, and not know it. Um, student loan forgiveness, that's a whole show in and of itself, uh, but it's not – 
rocket surgery, um, there's generally two types of loans. There's the ones that are uh, federally subsidized. Uh, they used to be under the federal family education um, uh, legislation, FFELs and the Stafford subsidized. They're now all called the direct loans. What's important to know about that, uh, those is three things. Student loans, generally not dischargeable in bankruptcy because they're a long-term obligation and the court says, well, you just have a short-term problem. So we're going to keep you. Thanks for filing for Chapter 7, but we're not going to wipe out your loans because you're going to get back on your feet. you got you got arms and legs. You're going to have a job, and you're going to be able to pay it back. So that's what feels onerous about student loans. Um, with respect to the federal loans, know this. There are a whole bunch of income-based repayment programs. There are forgiveness programs if you work in the public sector. Um, I had a uh, graduate – I had a um, – a doctoral client, a client who is a pharmacist and um, qualified for uh, government service income-based repayment. And, you know, she wasn't suffering, but yet a portion of her loan was being forgiven by the federal government uh, every single year for the work that she chose to do on behalf of all of us uh, as a pharmacist. So that's one way to do that. And by the way, there's also income-based repayment plan. There's, and you can change the way you pay back your federal loan anytime. And that's written into the statute because the law is what enables the federal government to lend you that money. Now, I tell you all this to tell you that if anybody gets in the way of that, of you knowing and or exercising your rights to to change or to choose which way you pay your loan, that's a problem. And that can be a violation. And that can happen when servicers don't understand what they're talking about and they, they give you some kind of line that's not in comport with the statute. That can happen when collectors uh, just say, you know, no, you, you know, you can't change the IPR. You, you got to have this right now. So know that you have a lot of rights and a lot of benefits when it comes to paying back your federal loans. Moving on to the um, private student loans. Those often get sucked up into a big trust right as they're uh, made. Um, and I won't name any names, but if you've got them, you know who I'm talking about. It's kind of like mortgages. They get sucked up into a big trust, and then they get sliced and diced, and then people invest in them. And um, then if you don't pay them, uh, some collection law firm comes suing you for $63,000 because you owe this whole family of loans and you haven't paid in four years. I will tell you, as a former collections attorney, it is extremely difficult uh, to prove that to 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 get a judgment on those cases in a court of law it is very difficult to show where that money went who has the documents to the loan who owns what and why where and when so just because you can't discharge your student loans in bankruptcy does not mean uh rochelle that there is not a little bit of wiggle room and relief in those all right quick answer seven years Bust a mirror, seven years, bad luck. At what point does the seven years begin and end? Uh, date of default. So this is a this is a uh, Fair Credit Reporting Act driven thing that says, much like the statute of limitations, we're also not going to uh, have your credit report burdened by some kind of debt for more than about seven years since the date of default. And generally, you know, if a debt's been due for more than 180 days, which is six months, uh, then it's pretty much got to be considered in default. Uh, so you can count on about seven and a half years, no more than that, from the date that you last paid this thing. Um, but here's what happens. You'll get some phone calls from collectors who are real sweet, and they say things like, hey, uh, Robert Rochelle, yeah, we're just calling you about this. Well, look, here, I think we can work with you. Why don't you go ahead today and make a good faith payment of $25, and we'll put this thing uh, into consideration for a long-term repayment plan. I mean, notice the only hard and fast thing right there was that you're going to pay $25. Uh, they're considering to do something later is absolutely, totally illusory and has nothing to do with nothing. But as soon as you send that $25, uh, you, that's, that's your new date of last payment. So you just refresh the statute of limitations mm-hmm. on that debt. Okay, so don't get tricked 
tricked into that. Don't get sucked into that. Don't make good faith payments. You know, if you've not paid on something in a long time, you need to start considering whether or not they could actually ever take you to court for it. And then you need to start making that choice that uh, Craig Roberts talked about at the beginning of the show. Hey, that with that cash that you made this week, are you going to feed that to city, you know, city national, or are you going to feed that to your kids? Final question on that point. So once we have seen that seven-and-a-half-year period roughly elapse and it still stays on the credit report, do we reach out to Asperian, Equifax, TransUnion and say, hey, guys, what's going on? How do we manage to get that erased finally? Does it happen automatically? And if it doesn't, why not? Uh, in most cases, it does happen automatically. And if it doesn't, you can prod the process by disputing the trade line with each of the consumer reporting agencies, like you mentioned. And you can get your um, credit reports, one from each one of those bureaus every year for free from www.annualcreditreport.com. It sounds like a business, but it's not. There was a big uh, settlement with the government some years back, and they forced the consumer reporting agencies to open up this website and provide it uh, for free to people. So you dispute with the consumer reporting agencies. They got 30 days to do a meaningful uh, reinvestigation of the trade line reporting and remove it if it's not um, proper. And the, it generally, that happens to the best of their ability, despite the millions and millions and millions of electronic credit reporting transactions almost every week, uh, because their legal liability is significant. And consumer protection attorneys like myself uh, practice bringing claims under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which says these consumer reporting agencies will uh, make all reasonable efforts to make your consumer report uh, as accurate as possible. So, you know, if you have another Rochelle's data in your consumer credit report, you know, you may have a cause of action if you don't, if they don't take it out when you tell them it's not yours. We'll pause on that point, come back to more of our conversation with attorney Mike Cardoza, the book, The Secret World of Debt Collection. By the way, the book available on the web, simple, same title, secretworldofdebtcollection.com. A timeout, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I realize today we are just literally skimming the surface of a very deep and perhaps to you a very important topic today, doing the best we can. The book, by the way, The Secret World of Debt Collection, it's not one of those 5,000-page heavy reads, I have to go to a university to study to be prepared to read the book type thing. It's good reading heavy on information and important steps to protect your rights as a consumer. So you can get a copy of the book, as we mentioned, on the web at secretworldofdebtcollection.com. That's secretworldofdebtcollection.com. And if you need an attorney, Mike, they can find you through there as well. Very good. All right, let's get back to more of your calls. Lee in Palo Alto, come on in with your comment or question for attorney Mike Cardoza. Hi, I have a question. Thanks for taking my call. And it was interesting to know that 97% of the people in the United States pay on time. My question would be, I knew a family where the father helped a son who lost his job, but his wife was working, to turn a credit card debt into a personal loan. He consolidated it so that it was like paid off in three years or at a reasonable rate. And I wondered if they were doing that today, what would be the first step in terms of California for um, companies to look for, whatever, and is there any help for consumers when the banks were given a bailout in 2008, also in California? They got a trillion dollars, why not the rest of us? <laughs> I absolutely agree with you on that. Counselor? Oh, Lee, wow. You uh, you really just, you just took us through a wormhole into a whole different universe, and that uh, is very cool. <clears throat> okay, so... Banks. Um, I'll start there. Uh, motivated by profit, and um, you know, who's it doesn't take too much of self thinking for us to 
think about who are the most profitable credit card customers. Okay, everybody who spends on a credit card is given uh, the banks about 2% in the merchant transaction fees, even if I pay off my bill every month. The people that are making the money for the credit card issuers are the folks that are carrying a balance. And even more so, the people who are making money for those fo- for those banks are the folks that are carrying a balance and paying late. Because now there's the interest charge plus the late fee. So <clears throat> we know this. I'm not making it up. It's a matter of fact. You know, there is a greater incentive for creditors to extend more credit to borrowers who are in trouble because that credit is more profitable. Does it ever make sense to turn consumer debt into secured debt? In other words, I'm going to refinance my home and now take that money and pay off my credit cards. It can. Um, it can. And so everybody is, I think, a little bit overly concerned about their credit score. You know, I get phone calls, uh, hey, you know, this thing happened to me. I'm, I'm, I'm devastated and furious because my credit score was 710 last week, and now they did this thing to me, and it's 680, and so that means the price of my loan is But And I say, hey, well, stop right there. You know, um, let me tell you for one thing, the, the credit score that Equifax or whoever is selling you is a different score than they're selling the, their customers. And then there's a silence. On the end of the line. What do you mean? I am a customer. No, 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 you're not. No, no. Equifax's customers are all the lenders. They're the lenders are the ones that are paying in money and in your behavioral information to the consumer reporting agencies. They are paying them for this particular score that they use to judge how much they're going to charge you uh, for the debt. So you're not you're seeing an educational score. You know, there's an asterisk next to it. Let's talk a bit about um, dealing with some ways in which we can protect ourselves. One of the points that you make inside the secret world of debt collection is if you're going through all of this and there is a concern that perhaps they're going to come and maybe get a judgment against you and they're going to garnish wages, they're going to take over your bank accounts, things of that sort. Uh, Should we take the steps of closing down checking accounts, things of this sort, because I've got to make a decision between caring for my family or paying off the big, ugly debt collector? Okay. Yeah. What to do? Um, So, right. If you are being taken to court about a debt, you definitely want to put that money into uh, a smaller institution or maybe someyplace that on smart speakers and the Odyssey a service of Salem Media Group three-star general Michael J. Flynn head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military Flynn knew what the Intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary Flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal Flynn told the truth he was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it I was like I'm not changing it they had to get rid of Flynn with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 